everybody. My name is A-Track. My friend over here is... <laughs> What's your name? <laughs> I'm Ron Van Helden. I'm there doing it in, vo- in, in Vogue language. Yeah, Vogue. yeah. How's it going? Is it, you know, in, in LA, it's finally starting to feel like fall a little bit the last couple of days. But how's it going in Miami? Well, yeah, I mean, you're rocking a hoodie, so that usually yeah. is, that's the sign. That's yeah, the sign. It, it was really yeah. hot until like a week so ago. So the, toe, the toes are not out anymore. No, the toes are the toes are tucked. That, no. When I see the hoodies come out, I know the toes yeah. are tucked. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Miami's nice. I was I was went for a swim today, my man. So you know how it is. Okay. Miami yeah. in October, yeah. water temperature's perfect. Same thing. Yeah. I just literally did a solar run. I brought my little astronaut beach chair out there. <laughs> brought some pistachios shields in the water and I just sat there it was nice I'm, I'm was gonna nice. come visit soon I'll, I'll hit you in the next couple of days to plan that because I'm gonna come to visit good we got a we got a biggie today. We got a we got a nice long episode today. But before we get into any of that, we're gonna talk about food. Put the sauce on it. I got something to show you. I made I, I ventured into a new territory. Let me uh, see if you can see this. What? Oh, that's creme brulee. In, indeed, or or flan. Okay. To me, this is flan. Oh, it's there's flan. Three... Yeah, I'm sorry. It's not creme brulee. Yeah, I, yeah I, I see it now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're right that there's a couple of cousins. Flan is the... Cousins. Yeah, flan, <laughs> creme caramel is the French one, and creme brulee is maybe a second cousin. Because... <laughs> and I just figured more of this out recently because my mom showed me how to make flan. But flan and creme okay. caramel are yeah. almost the same. Flan's the Spanish one. Creme caramel is the French one. Flan is usually just milk, whereas creme caramel has cream, so the texture is a little different. And then creme brulee is similar, but yeah, I would call that one a second cousin. Okay. And so that's going to be my recipe for today. When I was growing up, my mom used to make flan back at home. My mom didn't make a lot of re- a lot of desserts, but she used to make flan. And then she came to visit just recently, and then she showed me how to make flan. And then this was me making it like after she left. So I don't remember all the quantities, but the way to do it is actually pretty simple. You need you need these little things. These are called ramekins. So, They're called the ramekins? Whole, yeah, ramekin. I've never heard of that one. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I, know. I, just, I just learned the yeah. words. And a, a flan is, a, is like a flip over trick. Yeah, I don't remember all the quantities, but the essentials are pretty actually pretty simple. You got to make the caramel, which is just heating up sugar. And then you make the custard, which is the main main part of the flan. And then that's all you need to know how to do. So the caramel, you just put uh, sugar in a pan or some people use a saucepan. I use just a normal pan. You're heating up the sugar and then it all happens pretty fast. That's the one thing you've got to be sort of mindful. All of your sugar turning into caramel at the same time, because it's going to start turning into caramel in one part of your pan. You can almost burn it. You know, one part of your pan might just get too far and become too dark brown while you're waiting on the rest. You got to like do a lot of moving around. So you're making your caramel. Once you have your pan full of hot caramel, you just pour a little bit of caramel just to cover the bottom area. That's it. It's not even that much, just like covering the bottom of each of your ramekins. The custard is either milk or milk and cream. I did a mix of milk and cream, sugar, some eggs and vanilla extract. And that's it. That's all, that's all the ingredients. So to make the custard, you take the uh, milk and the sugar and you bring that to a boil in a saucepan. That's one little situation. Then in a bowl, you take your eggs, you beat those. And then once your milk and sugar are boiling, you pour that into the bowl. But you got to do that 
kind of step by step slowly because the hot milk could actually cook the eggs on contact. So it's better if you have two people there because one person can like hold the bowl with the eggs and keep pouring them a little bit. <laughs> and then the other yeah. person is like slowly pouring the milk in. The DJ duo. Yeah, a little DJ, yeah. little collab. So you're slowly pouring, uh, pouring that in. Um, and then you just add a little bit of vanilla extract. And then you go back to your ramekins that have caramel on the bottom, fill it up with what you just mixed up. Then in the oven, you uh, you cook it in, in French, we call it a bain-marie. It's a way to cook where the container that you put these guys in also has water, hot water in it. And then you put that in the oven. Okay. So the water touches the edges of these guys. Yeah. So it's just kind of yeah. like distributing heat, heat a different yeah. way. So in the bain-marie, into the oven. And then when it's done, about a half hour later, stick them in the fridge for a couple hours. I actually left them overnight. All that's left to do after that is the little flip where, where you, you know, you put a plate. Well, actually, you take a knife and you just sort of like do the outline and then plate, pop, flan. Yeah, yeah. That's it. And then don't you pour some sauce over the top? Not even because when you flip it over, the caramel that used to be on the bottom is oh, so now Oh, so it does that effect? It does it that effect. That, so right? so that, that's how you have caramel on top. And then as okay. you lift your ramekin, there's yeah. still caramel dripping from what was I the see. bottom. Yeah. And that's yeah. all it is. That's fun. Cool. What about you? What do we got on? The so interesting coincidence is that this is a recipe from my mom. This I haven't made myself. My mother makes it often. She brings this over. She's brought it over before. And I was like, oh, I love this. So, so basically it's a bean sap, but okay. it's cannellini beans, cannellini beans. Mm. But the cool thing about it is once you make it, you can apply all kinds of things to it. It's like it's one of these things that you can keep in your fridge in yep. a bowl. You know what I mean? And you can go... You can roll it up in a tortilla, you can put uh. it on toast, you know, but once you have it done, then it's good. It's just like now you have a thing sitting there and you have access to it. It's it's good in the fridge for like three, four days. My mom just calls it beans out. That's what it says. Mm -hmm. So it's one can. Oh, and it's black beans too. So it's one can black beans drained and rinsed. Same with the uh, can, cannell, cannellini. How do you say that? Cannellini beans, the white beans? Cannell, cannellini? Cannellini. Cannellini. Think, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's cannellini. <laughs> Cannellini. 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 <laughs> so the little white beans. Cannellini beans. Yeah. Okay. Put in a bowl with three-fourths of a cup of chopped parsley. Three to four garlic cloves, but the large ones. Uh, gloves chopped. A fourth of a cup of fresh lemon juice. Fourth of a cup of extra virgin olive oil. My, <laughs> my mother wrote, all ingredients organic, of course. <laughs> Mix it all, like in a big bowl. If you have those metal bowls or a big glass bowl, it doesn't matter. Just like, you know, kind of uh -huh. like the, the big bowl. And then you mix it all, then you refrigerate. Add some chopped avocado, little mm, chunky avocado yeah, chops. I like that. And that's it. Sometimes I'll just eat it with a spoon. Just grab, grab it right out of the bowl and put it in a bowl and just eat it. It's perfect. Every, it's just like yeah. I eat it with a spoon, you know, gluten-free, you name it. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. But then, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, like, I kind of want some, put it on, like, some toast, you know. I, mm -hmm. I put it on, I actually put it on uh, uh, English muffin. I put it in the middle of an English muffin. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you can just do anything you want to do with it. But uh, it's really good in a tortilla. The tortilla gets sloppy because it's kind of more wet, but it's, mm -hmm. it's okay. It tastes good. Well, that's it. Lovely. That sounds great. Cool. I'm a fan of the, I, I think bean and avocado is a great combo. Cool. Shall we move on to the next? Uh, the Zodiac. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so this is the section of our show where we do me and Alain, Alain, A-Track, Mr. Extraordinaire, A-Tracks and Aries. I'm an Aquarius, and I'm going to read his his horoscope for the week. 
Okay, so on Tuesday night, communication planet Mercury, which is still in retrograde, and Venus, which rules love and beauty, both enter balanced and justice-orientated Libra. With Mercury retrograde in Libra, you might find it harder to make your ideas understood to the people closest to you. Your intellectual conversations might feel slightly off balance, out of harmony. Venus in Libra, however, says there are other ways to find harmony, other ways to understand each other. With the people you love, you can find trust, balance, and mutual care, even if your ideas aren't perfectly aligned. Then on Saturday, there's a full moon in Taurus. Full moon in Taurus. That's like a song title. Under its light, your desires and emotions might come to a head. Your need for security or power or autonomy might blaze hotter than ever. Use this moon's energy to be brave and assertive as you keep moving toward what you need. Okay. All right. I got a little navigation plan there. I'm going to read Armand's Aquarius horoscope. Sometimes the world seems to stop moving on its normal path. Sometimes your sense of direction seems to scramble so that you start traveling in circles. It can be frustrating to feel as though you aren't advancing. But this week, try not to worry. You don't have to be purposeful all the time or to make constant forward progress. Though there are people who want you to believe that you must. There's a transformative magic waiting for you this week. And you can only find it if you follow the strange and non-linear path. Mm, very interesting. Mm. All right. Well, I, I, I trust that you will navigate that well. Yes. I'm an aviator. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. Our guest this week is pretty monumental for our taste in music. And I think for every, anyone who understands where music ended up going in the last, like literally 40 years. I feel like a lot of people know some of the, some things about Arthur Baker. Most people know he produced Planet Rock. You, Armand, definitely know a lot of the, more of the details. There's great producers. Let's just, you know, if you, if you run through yeah. them real quick, 70s, let's just say, you know, gambling off, 80s, yeah. Jimmy Jam, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, late 80s, Teddy Riley, into yeah. 90s, and then Pharrell and Timbaland. And then we're, we, are, we are where we are now, which I can't vouch for because I don't keep yeah. up. But I'm just saying, <laughs> let's just say that's that set, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Arthur Baker is the anomaly of that. He was inspired by a lot of these people that we mentioned, but like he... He's like the dance guy. So he was the in-between on everything almost. He just kind of like was taking things that are R&B, but making them electronic you know, and like, or things that are disco and flipping on it on its head or just grabbing the brakes or just the range as a producer of Arthur Baker is, is it's, there's not anybody, anybody close in my opinion. Like his, mm -hmm. his music range, mm -hmm. generally people have a sound. Mm -hmm. Arthur's just like, Arthur's got 18 sounds. Me growing up, there was like certain people that were just like, whatever I can do to be like them or yeah. emulate them or hopefully one day meet them, Arthur Baker was more. The people that I mentioned, he belongs there with them. That's yeah. where I put him. I agree. Well, let's bring him in. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> We are joined by none other than Arthur Baker. I'm just going to even say right from the start of all the interviews we've done so far, this is probably the one where I'm going to talk the least. I feel like this is going to be very much of an Arm Armand and Arthur Hank. And I'm just going to be saying, that was cool. <laughs> that was yeah. cool. But, yeah. Well, now, well, yeah, jump it, please jump. Call I'll, us I'll off jump in. I'll jump in. Let's yeah, let's Don't even worry yeah. about it. Yeah. About it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Armand, did you have uh, some sort of starting point or, or? Yeah, yeah. Well, Arthur, okay. I mean, you know, we can take as much time as we need for this. I do have a number of a good amount of questions. Okay. Um, cool. And, you know, they're, it's just basically, 
I want to kind of touch on things that we, me and you have discussed when we've just sat and had, you know, we've done meals together. Yeah. Yeah. And then sure. you, he, I would just kind of like on a, on a fan geek out, you know, with Arthur, ask him all these questions from the, from back in the day. And Arthur would be like, yeah. tell me the craziest stories. And I'd be like, Oh my God, it's just like, you know, and I felt like it's dangerous when I sit with Arthur because it's like, you go, six down, hours. You, go, you go down the rabbit hole. You go. Yeah, but it's also like the, six hours go by. It feels like it's the, six minutes. The freestyle like rabbit the, hole, you know? Yeah, it's just, <laughs> exactly. It's Going just a fun, it's a fun time hanging out with Arthur and hearing all those stories. And, you know, so, but like, a lot of people don't know your actual, you know, I even talk to people that yeah, you come in conversations that I'm like, oh, yeah, the, yeah, Arthur, he's from you. And I'm like, Arthur's from New York. And I'm like, no, he's from Boston. You know, like people, yeah, yeah. I think you've yeah. had such a impact on that city as an outsider. People don't even know that you're actually from Boston. You're yeah. from Massachusetts. Yeah. And yeah. so let's start it off with that. Tell us, I guess, how you, um, yeah, no, you know, kind of like I, where, you, where you grew up in Massachusetts. Yeah, I, what was the I, whole thing? I grew up in Boston and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and grew up in the, you know, like I was in high school in the seventies and, uh, my, you know, my first, the first connection for me in music were, were you know, Beatles, Rolling Stones, and, and Motown, right? As a little kid, that was the stuff coming out. And living in Boston, um, you know, it was it was thought of as a really really racist city, right? I mean, that's that's what it, it but you know that that was a part of it, of course. But there were also radio stations and 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 clubs and people that, you know you could connect with like me as a suburban because I, I, I grew up in Boston, but when I was like 11, we moved to the suburbs. So yeah, what was the name of that town? Cause we have, I have family there too. Ne- well, I lived in, ne- in Needham. Needham, exactly. My cousin. And right next so. to Needham was, was Newton. And yes, Newton yeah, where, yeah. was the, where the Moog, the, uh, the Moog, um, where uh, Moog started, that, Bob Moog, Bob yeah, Moog, yeah, Bob Moog. Yeah. They had yeah. they had the thing there, yeah. but, but but basically, as a kid, <laughs> I, I liked commercial music, and I was like into rock and roll and all that. But uh, my my first memory of music actually was in was in was in Temple. So that was like when I was five and six, and going to Temple and the holy services, and you'd hear these beautiful songs, and my mother was in the choir. So you you would you know that was my first experience. The first memory of music is that, and then like the Beatles and 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 Ed Sullivan, all that that people my age always talk about seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and all that. But but I I literally loved music, and I, and I and I my first gig was working at a friend's record shop, his parents' record shop, and they'd pay us in free records, and that's when I was in junior high, and then I continued to. The only job, my jobs were consistently working in record shops. So basically working in a record shop in junior high school and high school. And I, and I started getting into like black music and disco and black music. So this is like Mm. the best time, 71, 72, Philly, uh, Motown, Gambling Huff, Gambling, Gambling Huff and, and, and the whole, the whole sound of Philadelphia. So, you know, that, that really turned me on to music and, and I was thinking that, what are you doing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there we go. Yes. I did, I did say I was doing an interview, didn't I? My daughter. Yeah. yeah. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Hi. Okay. Hey. Oh, wow, you're so big. Go play tennis. Go ahead. I don't know. I just Annette. Know. 
<laughs> Go play tennis. <laughs> He's going to tennis. Can you tell by her? Come on, I'm ready. I know. I'm just, I just want to put some sunscreen on. Okay. You can put the sunscreen on. That's good. That's good. <laughs> okay. She's a bit of a ham. Uh, yeah. So, she can hang out, man. Let her hang out. Yeah, it's fine. No, no tennis practice today. <laughs> so, yeah. So I started thinking I could make music and, 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 uh, and and really, obviously, back then, you I I wanted to make music from the time I was like seventeen years old. And I what, like making music. Yeah, she's making music at five. But come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Bye. 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 Hold on. Or, or stay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There we go. You can edit that. <laughs> we won't be editing that. That's, 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 that's wonderful. Well, she's actually way. more talented than I was at, at 15. She's already doing it. But yeah. so the thing was, I thought I, I could make music, you know, for some reason, mm -hmm. you know, that arrogance you have that I'm sure that both of you had it too, that you, of course. you think you could actually <laughs> make music with no reason why you should think you could make music. You yeah. think, I like music so I can make music, right? That doesn't really make much sense when you think about it, right? But I thought that, and obviously back then, the only way to get in with the music business was to be a DJ, really. Mm -hmm. So disco was starting. This was like 74, and I was in Boston. I had gone to college for a little while, but I came back to Boston, hooked up with John Luongo, and got in the record pool, Boston record pool, um, and, you know, started getting free records. And, just, you know, I mean, you know how it all goes. You get records. I played in a shitty club. And I would go down to New York and, and play it like I was a big deal in Boston. And I go. You to, played in Faneuil Hall, is that correct? No, I played. Told, I didn't even get into no. Boston. I was playing in like oh. Framingham, you know? Framingham. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I love it. You're right. That's my where, big my, my, where my grandmother was. My, <laughs> my big gig was Sadie's in Framingham, which was a. Sadie's? It was, like, it was in the Chateau de Ville. Remember that, Alma? The Chateau de Ville. I don't. I don't. The Chateau de Ville were a chain of dinner clubs, like supper clubs. And they okay. all. And, and at this time, it was 76, 77. It's when disco was, you know, the heyday of disco, right, at the yeah. time. So they all, they opened up Sadie's in every Chateau de Ville. There was one in Randolph, one in Framingham. Uh, you wow. know, it was like mafia down. <laughs> it was like total mafia club. Yeah, and yeah. I, would, I would DJ there. And, and you know, so by, by being hooked up with Luongo, I'd go to New York and, and he – had the in with a lot of people and I'd, I'd go to record labels like RCA and Atlantic and get free records. But, you know, and I would say I was a DJ and I was in the record pool, some cool. And, you know, I started making, I was hustling, starting to make connections. And then, you know, I, then I thought, yeah, I, I took my, um, I had some bar mitzvah money saved up and uh, <laughs> I went in the studio and started making an album. And I literally hired what all was the first did you, so you did that in Boston before New York? I did that in Boston. I started recording in Boston before. But see, that's exactly. the interesting thing. Before yeah. I moved yeah. to New York, yeah. I cut North End, the North End record, the Glory record, the Ritz record, TJM. I cut all this stuff in Boston using Boston yeah. musicians like Marie okay. Starr and Michael yeah. Johnson, you know, those guys. Oh, wow. And also yeah. Yeah. other other guys. You know, there were some really good musicians in Boston because it was uh, – 
Berkeley. Well, we should say we should yeah. say for the people that Marie Starr went on to produce New Kids on the Block and New Edition, and then and, and, then, and, and, and New Edition, yeah, yeah. And Michael and Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson did, was the Johnson. Did like pack pack yeah. jam, like break break dance, yeah. big break dance mm. records. Like so yeah. it was all you know, but that but I was the connector for them to come to New York because I when I moved it. to yeah. New York, I moved to Brooklyn. Uh, and they would come down, and they would literally they would crash in my apartment in, 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 in Brooklyn. No, no, they would sleep. They, you know, I'd crash in their place in, in Roxbury when I'd go to Boston. We were really yeah, yeah. tight, and you know, but we, they'd come to New York, and they. What year? What year did you move to New York? I moved to New York in, in like around eighty one. You know, I moved to New York in eighty one. Yeah. Okay. All right. There's I a made lot. all these records before, you know. I made in Boston, yeah. Because you, so you, kind, did you, kind of life and happy, tease happy, happy days. Yeah, the, the TJM yeah. record. So I made all my disco records in Boston, you know. Okay. And, and okay. you know, I, I, I'd come down to New York a lot, and I'd go once. Once we started getting the records signed to labels like Emergency, they gave me a budget, so I ended up going. I, I hired T. Scott to mix happy days and, and, you know, and he, it, we ended up doing tease happy. So yeah. I, you know, before I moved there, I already knew I was already hooked in before I moved there and I knew, I knew Tom Silverman. So I was already making moves in Boston and, and, but I was the guy who moved. Well, when I, did you start streetwise? Sorry. Uh, that's sorry. not until 82. That, that, that's okay. So you started. Oh, okay. 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 That's after, so those, you were doing all those records be, before that's you after, had a. That, that's after Planet Rock. I mean, basically. Uh, well, after no, Planet Rock. We started it before, but literally yeah. it didn't. We didn't put out any records until right around the time of Planet Rock. Okay, but, that, but just, Arthur, that just answered a lot of questions. So yeah. go, go, okay. go ahead. So basically. When, but Arthur, when you were recording those disco records, like like Kind of Love and stuff like that, you were um, arranging stuff that live musicians were playing? Yeah. Did, well, did, like, well, like did, you, did you know how to score music at all or were you just sort of like giving No, no. What, arrangement? I, what I did was I had, I had, um, I had, I had two, I had partners. It was me. Uh, well, on the North End records, it was me. This guy Russell Presto, who's a, who was a DJ, a really good DJ and a drummer, mm -hmm. and this mm -hmm. guy Tony Carbone, who was a piano player. Mm. So the three of us were like our, we were our little, uh, you know, like Baker Harrison. We were thinking we were going to be Baker Harrison Young type of vibe. As, okay, Billy, so we could be Baker Carbone and Presto. You know, so you have to the point where it's funny. A lot of people thought I was. Um, I was the bass player and I, they thought I, you know, they thought Baker, they always thought, well, you must be Ronnie Baker. And I, no, <laughs> no, it was very funny. But um, so, yeah, we, I mean, the thing was we'd hire people to arrange strings, mm -hmm. you know, but there were a lot of guys in, 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 in Berkeley, you know, we knew a yeah. lot of guys who were arrangers. So that wasn't a, that wasn't an issue at all. And I, I got this guy, Andre Carrere, who's a great guitarist. He was at Berkeley and Jeff Anderson. So we had our own crew of musicians in Boston that were cutting those records. And, and okay. literally, so all those records were cut in Boston. Like um, Happy, uh, Tease Happy and Happy Days were uh, mixed at Right Track Studio. So that was like the first time we went into a very expensive studio to, to mix in New York. Okay, and you know the the the, the TJM album. I recorded all that in, in Boston, and then Tom Moulton signed it and finished it in Philadelphia. So, you oh. know, it was it was definitely 
all my most of the live things I cut were were cut in in Boston, and we do wow. some overdubs in New York. But it was really, you know, I knew musicians in New York, of course, but and, mm-hmm. you know, but the real the real sort of connecting connection of when it went from live to elect electronics or to drum machines yeah. was when I started working with Tom and the first record I did with him was live played live, which was jazzy funk, you know, jazzy sensation. Mm. And that I used the rhythm section of young kids from, from Queens who I met from through T Scott. They were these young band and it was uh, Andre Booth and this guy T funk and this guy, Charlie street, great guitarist. And, Mm. Those guys became the rhythm section on that record. But literally after that record, the next record was Planet Rock and it just sort of shifted wow. to, to drum machine. So it was really, that was like the last, I'm not saying it wasn't the last record I cut with live musicians because Walking on Sunshine, which I cut right after Planet Rock, that had live percussion, live bass, live keys, but we used the drum machine. So I would say that was a that was the last record I did with a drummer, Jazzy Sensation. Yep. And then the rest, everything else I did in New York ended up being with drum machine and a lot of live musicians. John Roby would play live. So we were, we, we, we we had the elements of live, but we uh-huh. would use drum machines, you know. Cause I didn't have, you know, the drummers were always, you know how drummers are, they're pretty pretty flaky and you know <laughs> it takes too long to set this shit up you know those I mean, flaky drummers they are very flaky drummers. <laughs> yeah, they are. but yeah and you know uh, they, they go out uh, of time you know that was the uh, other thing well, yeah. once, once you started working with drum machines you were like really spoiled and you didn't want you didn't want the drum you didn't want it to go out of time you know so but, um, but that's a huge that's such a huge change stylistically going from yeah, disco records to 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 Planet Rock. Like, but you, what what else was going? Well, what else was in the water for for that? Well, no, but but leap to happen. But, but you would. But here's the thing with with like Planet Rock and the whole Kraftwerk thing. Growing up in in, in Boston, I worked in a record shop, and um, Kraftwerk had Autobahn, and that that shit was in like '77 or '76. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's no. really crazy when you go back and go how early that record was, and you know it was a it was a pop hit. I don't know if it was that in Canada, but in in, in America, well, was I wasn't like, born. Yeah, <laughs> okay. It was. A, it, was. A, it was a top forty record, man. Like yeah. even more. I think it was though. I think it was in Canada. Yeah. So he, you know, so it wasn't. I was always aware of Kraftwerk and Model yeah. and Trans yeah. Europe Express when I was a DJ. That yeah. came out and. You know, well, but, tr- well, yeah, well, well, Trans Europe Express and and numbers were street records, and the but, right, yeah, street, and, but, and yeah, they were here's the thing. they were like in the it was like predominantly in the United States at least. I'm sure you remember this too because I have a, a, a slight memory of it. It was predominantly black folks that that were well, playing numbers, like yeah, you know what I mean, like, like it wasn't Trans- like German people in the states yeah. supporting Kraftwerk. <laughs> It was like street hood records, <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying? No, but like Trans- disco, it was like disco record. Tra- Trans Europe Express was many years before Numbers. Numbers, yeah, num- yeah, yeah, I know like that. I know that. No, eighty one yeah. or eighty Numbers came out right before Planet Rock because well, Trans Europe Express was like a roller skating record. Yeah, but it right? came I mean, out. Yeah, yeah, but it, it yeah. came out a yeah. lot. It came out really early. It yeah. was sort of yeah. like seventy six, and then yeah. yeah, when I moved to New York in eighty. 
the kids in the park, black kids, were listening to it in boomboxes. So exactly, it definitely exactly, was exactly. getting played. Yeah. And yeah. that was the template for Planet Rock was more the Trans Europe Express thing. And then I happened to be in a record shop in Brooklyn, Music Factory, where the guys from Rocker's Revenge, who later became Rocker's Revenge, were mm -hmm. managing it. And I'd go in there and play my my you know my test pressings or whatever, and they'd play me shit that was happening, and they played me numbers, and I was like, "Fuck, I want to use that. I want to use that on the record. Use that with the melody of Trans Europe Express." And that was where that idea came from, and the tempo, because like Trans Europe Express was really slow, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah for sure. And, and 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 to the to the extent that the rappers had learn their rap over Trans Europe Express. And then when we went in to record what became Planet Rock and we had it at like 128, the rappers, like, first of all, they didn't know how to rap to it because they couldn't, you know, because it was like double time. They, they couldn't. Yeah, for sure. For it, was sure. Either, it was either rapping at 64 or 128 <laughs> and it didn't work on either. So they had to go back and Globe had to write a whole new, new rhymes and stuff, which he did. And, um, <laughs> came back in and the guys when, when i interviewed them for the 808 movie they were like you know we thought that was it they, we thought our career was over they were like we thought mm -hmm. that we'd never get another chance to make a record because the shit was going to be so not you know it was going to be a disaster flop yeah they well how, how did you meet how did you meet africa bambata i mean we, I met him through, how, how did you meet i, that? I, I met him meet? through tom silverman so oh, okay. okay tom had a label and I had made, I had produced records. So, and we were, Tom and I were friends. And when he started Tommy Boy, I was like one of the few producers he knew. And we were mm. friends. He said, You want to produce some records for me? And I said, Cool. And because, you know, I moved to New York and I had made these records, but I had no gig. You can't make money. You know, you, you, those first records sold a bit, but splitting the royalties three or four ways, I mean, you, you know how it is. I didn't make any money on them. So I was working in a warehouse in Long Island City. You know, Cardinal One Stop, which was a, you know, one, it was a record one stop uh, uh, distributor. So, okay. you know, the guys in the, in the, in the warehouse would be like, yo, man, I, I'd show them a record because they'd have my records, like my shit on Emergency or North End, and it would be there. And I'd say, yeah, I made that record. And they're like, why are you working in this warehouse if you've made records? And I'm like, what am I going to do? You know? So, you know, basically, with Planner, with Planner, I met I met Bam through Silverman, and Bam had three groups. He had Soul Sonic, he had Jazzy Five, and he had Cosmic Force. And uh -huh. for some reason, they picked Jazzy Five first. We went into the studio. I had the rhythm section of the guys from from Queens, and we didn't really know what we were going to do in the studio. And I brought a bunch of records that were current at the time, and obviously, Genius of Love was one of them, hmm. and Funky hmm. Sensation. And I and I said to the guys, everyone, Genius of Love was so big that I just thought there's no way someone else isn't going to do that. Let's do Funky Sensation because, first of all, Larry LeVan plays it at Paradise Garage. I know if we do it, I can get him. He'll probably play it. And we can there's, a, there's an in there. I, I just said Genius of Love. It, it's someone else is going to do it, which it wasn't in fact. The which case. Sugar Sugar Hill did it. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So mm -hmm. Funky Sensation was definitely the uh, the underground pick, and and it and it worked. And you know the record came out, and it just it did really well. It, it did like yeah. it, it sold like fifty thousand really quickly. And this was when rap really just 
you know, Mr. Magic played it on his show and, you know, me and Tom were going to the rock and soul and bringing them cases and <laughs> boxes of records. Oh, rock, rock and soul <laughs> over by, by, and by Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's my spot. Oh yeah. Man. So wow. that was, I, th- I think, it, I think it might've closed this year during COVID. Yeah, uh, it did, so, but, it, but it had moved. It wasn't there anymore. Yeah, it had moved. I, I was yeah. there filming for the my rockers doc, and I went back, and it was somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we filmed a bit there. But, it, yeah, that original store, because my studio was 37th between 7th and 8th, so I was literally okay. two blocks away. Wow. So yeah, I, yeah, lived on, I lived on 30th between 7th. Oh, no, you were in the New Yorker building. I was right? in New York after, but my oh, original okay, yeah. studio. So I lived on thirty. I lived on thirtieth between seventh and eighth. That's crazy. My original yeah. studio was thirty seventh <laughs> between seventh and eighth. Got it. Okay. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so we did. You know, we did Planet Rock, and and I thought it was amazing, and the group hated it, and and Tom, I don't know what he thought, but you know, we went in, and and you know, when when, when I brought it back to Music Factory, I had an acetate of it, and I brought it to Music Factory put it on and literally like 10 people rushed to the counter and were like, what is that? We want to buy it. Someone offered me a hundred dollars for the acetate. So, you know, I was like, we, we that means that's a good, that's a good sign. We definitely got something here, you know, and, it, and so it was, wait, wait, you, who, who hated it? Soul Sonic Force hated it. Yeah. They hated it. Yeah. <laughs> and Bambata, and Bambata, right? No, Bambata loved it. Bimbata oh, okay. loved okay. it. The rappers okay. were just like, t- they thought they were going to do, you know, Rapper's Delight or something, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I imagine they yeah. thought they were going like to do funk, like some. Over a, like a funk groove or something. Well, because Jazz like Sensation yeah. was I mean, really. They were rapping over Kazoo's at the time. That's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it Freedom yeah. and yeah. shit like that? Jazz's they were expecting a Kazoo. Was, <laughs> Jazz's Sensation was really good because musically the guys who played were great. So it was yeah. really, it had that, it had yeah. like the Sugar Hill sound, but yeah. it was even cooler because the keyboard, I mean, it was a cool record so yeah. they wanted that they were like well, yo we want to do something yeah. like that and, and that's too funny but Tom, well, i want to ask a track um something about planet rock because i need to go i need to say a lot about planet rock but i'm going to okay. make it as quick as possible i actually want to ask Alain. Well, yeah, you have great you, planet rock stories <laughs> um well i got planet rock all day but and i'll go get into that but i want to ask i want to ask a track what how when you first heard planet planet rock obviously you you know you were Planet Rock had been out and it did its rounds yeah. by the time you probably yeah. first heard it. But what did yeah. you think of it? Like, I'm just curious. I never really asked you that. Like, yeah, that's interesting. That, re- that record in particular, uh, I'm very curious to know, like, when you heard it, you're like, what is that? Like, or like, what was your vibe to it? Like, when did you hear it? How, how old like was H-track, you? Like, A-Track, exactly. For you. Yeah. Yeah. I was born yeah. in 82, right? So, right. obviously, oh, I you heard were, it later. You were, con- you were conceived to Planet Rock, my yeah. friend. Yeah, Probably was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 82. But, yeah. and then I started really, I got into hip-hop around, like, maybe 93 or so. Right. Yeah. And as soon as I, I, I don't think I heard it before that. I, what, I don't have an exact recollection of the first time yeah. I heard Planet Rock, yeah. but... By '94 or so, I was get, I was interested in scratching. Um, right. Like, I, yeah, I was like 12, 13, like '94, '95. I was interested in scratching, and at in that period, I mean, right away, as soon as I I I wanted to, you know, know more about uh, DJing and scratching, there was this sense that you had to like learn about some of the old school classics, and even in those years. Like Hubert and those guys used to always scratch over electro beats. Right. So as soon as I sort of like focused on scratching and, and, and like 
started digging up videotapes of a couple of DJs scratching, I saw people scratching over some of the old school electro classics, including Planet Rock and It's Time and, you know, Jones and Crew and some of that stuff. So, yeah, I don't remember the exact... Well, what did, uh, but what did you think time, of the record when you when you heard it? I mean, it? I loved electro yeah. as soon as I heard it. Oh, okay. Cool. I, yeah. I loved electro as soon as I heard it. Um, I just loved the beats and 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 uh, I don't know. It, there's something about that tempo and those kinds of beats. I loved electro. I even loved freestyle when I first heard it. All that shit, even though I discovered it way yeah. later. Right. Yeah. Years yeah. that I'm saying something yeah. about it, I was just drawn to it. That's cool. Yeah. So for yeah. for for myself. I could simply say this and I'm not trying to be up Arthur's ass or anything. (laughs) I'm not trying to be up Arthur's ass, but I can simply say in my experience, in my opinion, in all music of all time in my life, my Planet Rock is my number one record of all time. Wow. Wow. It is. It is. (laughs) I can say that. I don't even have to think about it. It's easy for me because Planet Rock is the the big like look at this way you can make whatever you want to, any kind of music you want to make in life planet rock changed the world like it just the world was a one way planet rock happened and the, and the world the world was like uh we're gonna do that now like it just literally that was it, it was just like i'm sure uh, yeah there's only like literally it's like as big as i guess for maybe people that don't understand you know, Planet Rock would start as an underground record, but let's just say like something big like um, like Nirvana. It smells like Teen Spirit, mm-hmm. right? So you had these leftover, you know, like, you know, hair metal guys. And it's, you know, it's like 89. It, it, it mm-hmm. was dying, but somebody just needed to shoot it. And then Nirvana <laughs> comes out. You know what I'm saying? Nirvana. And then after that, the rest of the 90s into the early 2000s was just regurgitated nirvana you know what i mean so like when somebody says smells like teen spirit probably for them maybe one of the most important records in in rock as a change in that era yeah for me planet rock is bigger than even nirvana like for me planet rock is it it Mm -hmm. personally because i remember yeah there was numbers and yeah there was trans europe express but there wasn't a rap on it it was some weird german thing the mix down (laughs) was very light it was very light and Mm -hmm. almost like ambient, like, ooh, mini mouth. It was just very like, <laughs> you know, it was just like, it wasn't, it wasn't black. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Planet Rock came out up to Planet Rock. Even there wasn't sonically, sonically, nothing sounded like Planet Rock. Like it, that when you put it on the vinyl, mm-hmm. it, it was like the speakers were made for Planet Rock. It's like when you had a loud sound system, Planet Rock sounded perfect on it. Like it was like like people in nightclubs were like, I didn't know why nightclubs could sound like that. Yeah. Like Planet Rock was yeah, that it was, different. It was it was, it was uh, crazy. It was crazy, but even, crazy, but crazy. But even for me, discovering it yeah. like yeah. 12, 13 years later, I remember <laughs> thinking yeah. that it that that it it sounded like some alien shit. Like I, there's yeah. something yes. about even yes. the way the chants, yes. yeah. the raps, the chants, yeah. everything. It, it was just yeah. like, what is this? Yeah. yeah, you put that on now. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it and it still sounds pretty much different from any, anything else, even though a lot of yeah. people made records <laughs> trying to sound like that. But when you put it on now, it's like people, the way people react now, obviously kids now have grown up with those sounds anyway, but it still has a, a, a there's a reaction, you know, well, the 808, honestly, his youth, Arthur Baker's and John Roby, your partner, they, they made the record together with, with Africa, of course, but the, 
the the 808, that use of the 808, the way they, because you can tune the 808. Like Phil Collins used the 808, and it doesn't sound like Planet Rock. You know what I'm saying? Right, so right. they they <laughs> use the 808. Thankfully, yeah, thankfully. I'm saying that the way they made the 808 like yeah. sound was crazy, and and so modern music, and like you could put out, uh, you could go to a, a rap song that came out today, a rap song right now, and it still mm. uses the same snappy snare from Planet mm. Rock. That's mm. what is it? 38 years ago. Yeah. So no, that's it, how. It, it, that's it, how. Look this way. If you think about music, like how, what? So obviously Roland made the drum machine, but the the people that, uh, you know, that that program it and mix it make it mm-hmm. special, of course, right? But to this day, there isn't a record. To me, that's why I put it at my top because there isn't a record that's ever come out where the sound of it expanded. Well, how many generations is thirty eight years? I mean, you know, like how many different what musical cha- changes? Yeah. How many musical changes have we gone through? You right, know? right, and they still want to sound like Planet Rock, like these, right. all the, the the new rap, reggaeton records, trap, you name it. They don't even know Planet Rock. Yeah. They just know they want that sound. Yeah, yeah. but the, the beginning of that sound, if they wanted to do their homework, is Planet Rock. There's nothing yeah. before it, That's right? Because you guys defined like the long, yeah. the long decay on the on the on the kick, yeah. and like you yeah. said, the snap yeah. on the snap. Like you, exactly. you, you made that machine. Yeah. Yes into what it is as far as yeah. how it's known in popular well, culture. Obviously, we, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is, you know, like, I, I tried to mix Planet Rock like a dance record, for, for one. Mm. See, that's the other thing. We were making a rap record, but we wanted it to be a dance record, which, mm. which, is, which is interesting because the whole way we mixed it and the drops and, the, and, and taking out the snare and just having the claps... It was a very, yeah. you know, it was a real dance arrangement, which was where I was coming from. So I, I to me, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I can I can take that credit because I, you know, I know what I did on the record. And I'm really happy that I had one record like that in my career that we could go back and talk about like this. But, you know, when I was mixing it and when I took the snare out and I just had the kick and the clap and it had that beat on, with the bass and the clap. Mm-hmm. I, I'd go, wow, that is fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I did. I'm not, I'll, I'm, you know, I, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. When I, when I did it and I was doing those things in the mix, I was like, I didn't know. Of course, I didn't know it would, can, you know, would, we'd be talking about it 40 years later. But I did, I did say we've, we've changed music tonight. I did. I knew mm-hmm. it. That's I knew it because of the combination of the stuff, because we had, we had the Bronx and we had European melodies and these beats yeah. and the Bronx and the rap. But the thing was, even before the rap was put on, we took a mix, an instrumental mix. And I was like, fuck, we don't, you know, to me, I don't need a rap on this. You know, that track yeah. is just going to blow people away. And, and it did. A lot of people in the clubs, a lot of people didn't play the rap version. They were playing mm-hmm. they the instrumental. But, um, yeah, actually, it's funny you say that because most <clears throat> my memory is everybody played instrumental. Yeah, like my memory was, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. all of a sudden I heard a rap on it, and I was like, "Oh, he rapped wow. on it." Yeah, I thought it was like, no, I thought it was after the like, fact. They were, they were like, it was like two different. It was like two different records, though. Yeah, yeah. it really was. It was yeah, two different crazy. records, and and yeah. you know, and I. The think crazy the, thing is, an instrumental ten-minute long song instrumental on the 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 
basically number one record on black radio, a 10 minute long drum machine instrumental in 1982 on black radio on every urban station in the United States. The number one record, right? Am I right? 10 minute instrumental. We were just, that's, that's, that's unheard of. (laughs) They didn't play the rap. They played the yeah, instrumental. No, they, the you know, instrumental a lot of was was it. Played the rap, you know. And, yeah, and, uh, it's just crazy. And, and crazy. you know, and 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 it did give the record a real long life. And then yeah. when we put out "Play at Your Own Risk," yeah, Planet Control. Control. on top yeah. of it. Yeah. So yeah. that record yeah. between the two, you know, which was basically a, a a third mix of the same track with the vocals on it, it was like we had a record that had a shelf life of over a year that people were playing it because you know. I didn't even, I, you know, I forgot we had done we had done different melodies and, and string melodies in case Kraftwerk were to sue us and stop it. So that <laughs> night, we, that night we did the record. I had Roby, you know, play some other melody. So then I had done this other mix, this rough mix, and I brought it to Jellybean, and it had the piano and it had a bunch of things that wasn't on Planet Rock, but it started just like Planet Rock with the orchestra hit and the beat. And then the piano comes in and all the music was there. None of the vocals were there. And people went, they lo- they totally lost their minds because they were like, what the fuck? We thought it's Planet Rock, but now there's this really ornate acoustic piano and all this stuff on it. So I said, I went back to Tom. I said, man, we got to, let me get these guys from Boston down, great singers, and we'll, and we'll, We'll do a song on top of it. And mm. I had been at Music Factory again where I hung out and I used to play this video game, like one of the first video games. And uh, <laughs> and they had put a sign up there, play at your own risk. You know? <laughs> oh. and, and I saw okay. that and I said, dude, <laughs> that's the title of this fucking song. And we wrote play I wrote Play at Your Own Risk. Me and Roby wrote wrote the lyrics as the the, the vocalists were in the studio and we just sang them lines. We would go, you know, sing a line, give it to them. They'd sing it, and we punched it in line by line, and then they learned it, and we did the vocal in like two hours, basically. And, and uh, that's crazy. But you know, that's it was crazy. all on the same. It was like eight more tracks on the sixty on the twenty-four tracks. So you know, yeah. the drums were eight, and then the rap was like five, and then play your own risk was the rest of it. So <laughs> it was the same beat, everything, you know, the same percussion. <laughs> Then, yeah, and then it's all been yeah. downhill since. <laughs> no, no. We got a lot more, but I want to yeah. get in. Get in so. uh, well, okay, so one one thing I was thinking of. So, Arthur, how would you describe – I'm, you know, I'm fascinated with, like, the early 80s as this crazy um, period of, like, unexpected connections between sounds and scenes and everything. So how would you describe – from the way you lived it, that time period where, um, you know, I mean, even just from what you've already said in the, you know, since we started talking, going from disco to creating electro, but then dealing with rappers. Um, and I know just a few years later, you ended up working with rock musicians too. And so like, well, cause pro- like in the seventies, you, people wouldn't see these kinds of intersections between, types of music as much. So what was going on in the early 80s that created so many collisions? Well, well, well okay, New York in one, in, in one word, New York, because yeah. people would all hang out together, you know, and it'd be like, yeah. you know, you'd go, you'd go to Danceteria and there'd be, Lou Reed would be there and Alan mm. Vega, and but, you know, then right. there'd be rappers and, you know, I mean, it was just, 
everyone hung together. There was a spirit mm-hmm. in New York. But the thing was, disco and rap, rap, you know, basically rap music came out of disco because For sure. most, of, most of the breaks that the rappers used were all disco breaks. And yeah. guys like guys like Bambada and Cool Herc and and uh, and Grandmaster Flash played disco records. So basically, they were playing disco and funk. And then when rap came, people were trying to either sample those beats or or replay them. And and you know and but but the thing is, it was very. It's what I can compare it to is how in in London, like in Manchester, in the eighties the guys from Oasis would go to the Hacienda and they, they grew up with dance music. They grew up with house music. So they had a different look at things than in America. If you were a rocker growing up in the Midwest in the seventies and eighties, you would not hear that music until very later on. But in New York, everyone, everyone hung out together and everyone interacted together. And there were, and there were very creative Disco DJs like a, like a Larry Levan, Jelly Bean, mm. Mark Caymans, all those guys, uh, Francois, they would play everything. So when they, if, they, if, if you go to a club and you're hearing The Clash and you're hearing uh, Chaz Jankel and you're hearing rock records at Paradise Garage and you're hearing, uh, you're hearing um, you know, Sugar Hill Gang at Paradise Garage, you're hearing everything at the club. So it starts stretching your mind on what you could actually make because you know yeah. that there were places that would play it. If you if you were going out to clubs and you only heard this one thing, you'd be sort of that it would it would pigeonhole you into making a certain sound. But New York was so open that you'd have guys doing liquid liquid, conk those guys, Arthur Russell, mm. all this crazy shit going on because it was all about the beat. Like Bambada's whole thing was it didn't care what was on top, but if the beat was funky, he would play it. So yeah. that was sort of the whole mantra of New York, of hip-hop, and also the hip-hop kids would hang out at Fun, fun House Danceteria. It was just like everyone was hanging together and, and everyone was listening to the same music, and you had radio stations like BLS and, and KTU and KISS that were all in, it, it, was, it was very co- competitive too. So everyone was listening to everyone else's music and trying to better them. And it was, you know, it was, it was, it was a really amazing time in New York for yeah. sure. Because you had, you, know, you had all the prelude records, the salsa. So you'd have yeah. this disco stuff. But it's that, crazy. If you think about it, Planet Rock came out in 82. Yeah. You got rap in, coming from this side, punk on this side. Mm-hmm. Um, the remnants of disco still like, but early, let's say, synth also, funk, and you had synth like funk coming in. Groups like Clash and Talking Talking Heads. Yeah, yeah, and Tom Tom Club and when we made yeah. when we made Planet Rock, I was like, we've made what what Talking Heads are trying to do. I always got it. When got it, it. Yeah, before yeah. we put the rap on, and when it was just sort of very minimal, I was yeah. like, oh, and we've actually done what they're trying to do. And, you know, and I, I mentioned that to Chris France because he's a good friend of mine. He was like, yeah, when Planet Rock came out, we were like sort of bummed out, you know, because it was it, we, it was so good, you know. <laughs> yeah, because you, you took it all the way further, right? Like they, yeah, well, when because we didn't they, have a they were start- you know, we were like, we, we had rappers as our vocalists. So it was sort of, yeah. you know, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, 
it's interesting because it was the merging of cultures, right? Which yeah. doesn't mm-hmm. really happen a lot now. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Making yeah. music now, yeah. it's so yeah. it's so solitary. And and the thing is, when I make something really good, usually now it's when it's the mixing of cultures. You know, when even like yeah. I just made this amazing record with with Jose Carla. You know, the artist. The you know you know you know Jose. You guys know Jose? No, no, I don't think so. Well, Jose is—he's like one of the top um, fine artists now. Um, Okay. Like he started off as a graffiti artist, and he lived in Miami and he lived in New York, and he's like Cuban, Puerto Rican, and his shit is like you know—he's super, super successful. He just at the uh, at the, the the New World Trade Center, that big piece that is the biggest sort of piece anywhere in the world. That's him. He did that. Okay. That, oh, that yeah, huge, huge okay. thing. But we did a record because he's in, he's involved in, he's not a musician or anything, but he's, a, he, he loves salsa. He grew up on salsa, but he just loves hip hop. His, this is an interesting story because his show that he had at the Bronx museum was in February. And it was the last time I was in New York before COVID happened. And, Basically, the name of the show was "It's Yours" mm. after the Tito yeah, Rock yeah. record. And, and, Rock. And of course, I had I had put the record out, so I had the multi. So I gave him the vocal, the acapella, and he had like a salsa band playing, and that on running on top. But we're good okay. friends, and, and and he's involved in this thing called the Wide Awakes, and it's a political action, cultural thing. And we were on a call, and he he read a poem, and. Uh, I was like, God, man, that's a great poem. I, I get a, I get a track. I, so I called him up. I said, record it on your phone, send it to me, and I'll, I, I'm gonna make something out of it. And I made it, and the thing is fucking awesome. And we did an EP, and it's just because it's that combination of where he's coming from and where I'm coming from, and it just, and it works, you know. Well, that's right. that's your that. If anything, that defines Arthur Baker right there. Right. What you just explained. You yeah, just yeah, have yeah. a great knack for taking the risk that most won't and then just mm-hmm. knowing a is over here and B is over here. They don't talk to each other. Let's make them talk. Yeah, exactly. It's, right. it's not well, rocket I, I science. You and, know and, what I mean? so, and the fact yeah. that I've just done one that I feel like is fucking ridiculous. And then Oscar G just did a remix. I mean, it's, it's very good, but, most but yeah, cool. it, it's like, I like, you know, when I go back now, when I'm making records, I try to get that thing happening on my own, you know, whether it's using Frank, or, or, but with musicians. So like Frank Lord, uh, you know, uh, the percussion player down here that, that I use. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I'm still, I'm still. Well, let me, Arthur, let me jump to, I got a bunch more stuff. Okay. Go ahead. I, you, you went modern. I want to go back. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. Is that okay. all right? It's okay. Uh, um, <laughs> my point was, I'm still Shoot. trying to do that, you know, after four yeah, years. Yeah. yeah, but you're, you're not still trying to do it. You've done it, and that's yeah. what you do. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but streetwise, I want to get into the record label, you know? Yeah. So to me, that was like, and it's just one of the dopest record labels at the time. Maybe people don't know this. I, I feel like a lot of people probably don't are aware of this, but Arthur Baker put out New Edition, which would now, which basically would be Bobby Brown. Ralph Tresvent, Bell Biv DeVoe all started on Arthur's label. They're Boston guys. Um, right. Also, um, 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 what what the hell else was on Streetwise Arthur? Help me out. Um, oh, well, yeah. Well, that, that's, 
We put out What's Lolita that? Holloway. We put out Lolita Earth Holloway. Earth. You had Earth, wait, um, you did Eartha Kitt record, Eartha Kit. Wow. And you did Sheila Rock. Doctor John uh, uh, Jet Set. I did Doctor John. Record. That's true. Yeah, that's John. cool. <laughs> yeah. And, Wait, um, so did, Tila, um, I thought I thought I thought Tila Rock was the was was um, the first Def Jam. Single. Yeah, but I put it out. It wasn't. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I put awesome. it out. So you put it out, and then and then Def Jam. So you were you the distributor no, no, for the Def first, Jam? It was the first Def Jam, but he hadn't met Rick hadn't met Russell yet. So I was yeah. Like, so you were I was the first person for Russell, but you know. Yes. Okay. You distributed. You distributed Jeff Jam. The first from Def Street Jam Wild. record. Yeah, it was Def Jam. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was through my label, and amazing. And basically, Rick, Rick had the logo. He had his logo and everything, and he wanted to do a cover. And he fought for having a cover, which obviously, looking back, made a million. You know, made sense. <laughs> so, we, so, so we did it. But what happened was the problem with it was that it sold out so quickly. We ran out. We we pressed like thirty thousand sleeves, mm-hmm. and it sold out like immediately. And we didn't have any more sleeves. And he was like really pissed off because we, we wanted to put out records without the sleeve. And mm-hmm. he was like really pissed off. He didn't want us to do it. And I'm like, <laughs> well, we're losing all these sales. You know what? I go, yeah, but we're printing up more. You know, it, 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 I mean, the reason he ended up going with Russell obviously wasn't because of that. It was because Russell managed run DMC who were the biggest. Yeah. So yeah. it was more of that, but you know, I did have, you know, Def Jam P4. That's funny. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. All right. That's cool. And then um, AEIOU, you want to go over that? Yeah. Well, that was a record that these freeze, were freeze and they kept, they were like fucking haunt, haunting me. They were calling me and we want to do a record with you. And, you know, British they, group, right? Yeah. And they sent yeah. me their record and their demos and I didn't even listen. I wasn't really interested. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, and, yeah, but and then, yeah, but then they showed up. They just showed up in my office, you know, one day. Yeah. And yeah. I'm in the midst of doing all this. Stuff. I'm really busy, and I felt, but I felt bad for them. So I said, okay, well, let's start working on something. But we got to write an album because I don't like any of your songs. Whether I don't even know if I even listen to their songs. But at that point, <laughs> I was like, if I'm going to do a record, I'm I'm a member of the group. We're writing the shit together. That's it. And they were like, okay, mm. cool. So we went out to the studio. Fred Zara had a studio and we started writing. We wrote a bunch of songs and we recorded them. And the guys from Rocker's Revenge, who had already had Walking on Sunshine, did backgrounds. And I used some of my guys in New York, uh, studio musicians and stuff. And, you know, we had made this record and I'm like happy with it. But, this, you know, I feel like shit, you know, I don't think there's a hit on here. I, I really like the record. But, you know, I, I don't really hear a hit. And then we went in one day and I had this idea for music. I was really into Yazoo. I was really into, like, mm-hmm. Don't Go. I was very influenced by that record, um, the Yazoo record. Yeah. And, uh, situation, which hadn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. It, it hadn't been released in America, but I had heard, heard Larry play it or something. And I really liked mm-hmm. the sense in it. So we went in and we did this track. And there was no vocal or anything. And then I was riding to the studio, unique studio. And I just, while I was riding, I had this idea for I, the, the chorus for AEIOU, which I sang into my cassette. And we went in and then we we did it. And then, um, you know, the bass had already been down. The piano had been down. And I said to Roby, we need 
one of those synth lines. You know, we need a synth line. And then he came up with a synth line. And uh, yeah, and then Jelly Bean, I had Jelly Bean come in to mix it. Okay. And we had just, we had just, we had, we were mixing it at Unique, and they had just gotten an emulator. So because okay. eight, yes, yes, and this is the story I want to hear. Yeah, yeah go ahead, continue. Because, because yeah, yeah, it was yeah. eight EIOU, yeah. Jelly Bean said, "Why don't we? Why don't we sample AEIOU?" And I said, "Yeah, let's do it." And, we did it, <laughs> and then Roby played the solo, and that was that was how Damn. that. Went. But That's did he break all, up the A? Did he have like an A and an octave and an E and an octave and I and an octave? Know, we, Is that how he did it? Yeah, we yeah we did it. We did A an octave. Uh, yeah. Okay. And okay. Then, and that so one, it's funny because my my daughter who is now sampling her vocals. She's six, but she's really into uh, Garage Band, and she samples her vocals and she's playing this stuff. And I yeah, go, yeah. I got, I said, Papa. Papa's record was the first record that did yes. that. Said, I'm glad you're saying so, that. She's, yes. She said, did you make that app? And I'm like, no, make the app. no it's before I the mean, app. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Okay, but that does need to be said. And I, I'm glad yeah, that was the, that. Yeah, that because was the first listen. Up to, yeah. up to AIOU, nobody had thought of taking no a vocal, vocal note and playing it like yeah, uh, like, 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 solo, it. like a solo, having a solo section, like so in his records, A E I U. So let's just say it's A, it goes like A, 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 Nobody has thought of that. No, that was the best. But guess what? Like, how many records after that? Oh my God. Every freestyle record. And the other one was Afro Jack on the floor is the same thing. Huh? Yeah. You know, Afrojack pond the floor. That that's it. That's that's A E I O U. That comes from. It's yeah. crazy. Well, and know, anything thing, that does that. So, obviously, yeah. the thing was was there's there was with Planet Rock and with that there was this new technology, and we and we you know and we we went we went ghetto with it. We just fucking used it. And, and abused it, you know. It wasn't like we were trying to be polite. We were like trying yeah. to do crazy shit with it. So I mean, yeah. those records. I mean, it, it, it it's true. There were and 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 some of those records that year or that two year period, the shit we were doing on those records became templates for electro and and then as you say techno whatever, because mm. we we happen to be open to using them in that way, and that's. In the 808 movie, that's what I try to get across, that the people, there were a lot of people who probably heard an 808 and went, nah, that doesn't sound like drums. But obviously, that's the point. It doesn't sound like drums. It sounds like the next step from drums, and that's why we used it. And the same thing with, like, the emulator and how it was used, because, you know, it could be very gimmicky, and that was sort of gimmicky, but... It, it it was genius also in a way. Yes, so, it was genius. Right. Okay, all right. Um well I want to jump to just one more with Street Rise that I found interesting that this is like some real this is about the deepest one I'll get in on the streetwise thing. <laughs> the rest of, the rest will we'll get back up. But the um I kinda I found this record Use Me, Lose Me. Okay. Yeah, Paul, um, Paul Simpson, uh, right? Paul Simpson experience. Yeah. And that's 80, uh, 
83. Yeah. 84? 84. 84. 84. 84. Yeah, 84. 84. And then also you signed Colonel Abrams. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Music, music. we signed him the yeah. first record. So, so I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump into a theory. So <laughs> that was, house music. That was house music. That was pre-house house music. Thank you. Thank you. That's, you know where I'm going. You know, you know where I'm going. started in New York. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So but, you know, you're, so you're saying you, 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 can, you can say in this Chicago, is In yeah. Chicago, yeah. they didn't have the studios we had in New York or yeah. they didn't have access to them. So yeah. their records were like more, get, I'm not going to say like ghetto, a demo. They like were a demo. more ghetto demo. Whereas yeah, yeah, ours, yeah, like yeah. Paul was working in a real studio. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And Colonel Abrams was working with Winston Jones. And yeah, these were guys, yeah, they yeah, were friends yeah. of mine. And, and they all yeah. worked in 24-track studios. Whereas the house yeah. music three or four years later was done in someone's house, you know? Yeah. Like, we were really, we were making those records, you know. And Boyd Jarvis and Timmy Regis yeah, yeah, that whole, yeah, yeah, you know, we yeah. were, those records were 83, 84. And yeah. basically they were, they were influencing house music. I mean, John yeah. Rucker, I wanted to be real, which was on streetwise yeah, also. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The guys mm-hmm. in Chicago say that was like to them, that's like one of the first house records. And okay. that, I didn't came, know that. Out in, I that came out in 84. Okay. And that came wow. out before any of the house records came yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But obviously it's, it's, you know, it would go back and forth, but yeah. there is a, there is a school of thought that will say that the house music, uh, sort of, it was, it was pre house house music. And it, and it, it just, you know, it is, it's New York, like you, you guys were the New York crew. You guys didn't coin the term. You yeah, kind of had yeah. coming up with something like electronic, yeah. like from, I'm guessing, but like, having a drum machine predominantly not yeah. having the higher string section. All. So yeah. we're going to do like kind of like planet rock, but with an R and B vocal, Yeah, but it's yeah. going to be four on the floor drums. So yeah. it's like a disco yeah. disco. Yeah. But that's like yeah, a disco what, drum machine. That's like, what Paul, you know, yeah. Paul Simpson so. and Winston Jones. That's what they, that's what they were making. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. That, that, was I was very, just, was, I found this little thing and I, I never asked you about that. I would that always one. say it was like, it was like disco on a budget, right? Because they, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> disco <laughs> demo. Yeah. But the thing is exactly. like house music, Chicago house music, Yes. Was disco on a lower budget? New York was disco <laughs> on a but, but by the way, it might that might be why they 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 got it right because some of you know some of the best stuff is still in the demo mode. You know what I mean? So oh, yeah. Yeah. no, listen, you know, man, pol- listen. polishing it, you lose the soul. But, so, but, but here's the yeah. thing: when 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 house music, when DJ International shit started coming out, yeah, I was like, oh shit, you know. I really love what these guys were doing and without sort of recognizing or thinking that it, what it was at the time until they started coming over and Farley came to my state. Farley came and stayed at my house for a month working on the John Rocca album. Wow. And he, all he wanted to do was like <laughs> remix. I want it to be real. Cause he was on, you don't understand. That was the first, I think that's the first house record. Cause it, it you know because of the sampling and the bass line. If you think of the synth line, the bass line on that, that's yeah. like very that's you know rec- true. Yeah. Chicago true. before Chicago, you know in a way. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was. And John, John Rocca is the guy from from Freeze. from Freeze. From Freeze. Yeah, from Freeze, yeah. the lead singer. Yeah, yeah. I want it to be real, and also Once Upon a Time, which yeah. to this day Felix is like. You know, he wants to remix that. That's his one of his favorite <laughs> records of all time. You know, that's awesome. So that's obviously. Cool. 
John Rock was very big in Chicago. He was like, uh, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Okay. But not not freeze as much as his. I wanted to be real and and and, mm. and, and that you know. Okay. So I want to ask another. Is it cool? I know you got another one. Yeah, yeah, no, you. Yeah, I'm gonna jump you. to the. I'm jumping to Beach Street, Arthur. So okay. For me, growing up, so I was 12 years old when Planet Rock came out. So literally, like I said, changed my life. With the song came hip hop, and so hip hop, not rap, not rap. So rap, rap was I'm on the mic, I'm emceeing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that was a, a slice of the art. But with the concept of hip hop. Because of the song Planet Rock, really, now you had and Bambada was with um, what Bambada was doing was eliminating the violence in the Bronx. You didn't fight now. You did art against each other. So they mm-hmm. would go, OK, I'm going to rap again. I hate you, but I'm going to rap against you. I hate yeah. you, but I'm going to break dance against you. Yeah. I hate you, but I'm going to spray paint better than you. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So yeah. that I grew up that that hit me at 12. I haven't changed since. So like you can't, <laughs> my mind got wired into that. And that's just, that's just what happened. But the thing is, is um, we needed, I, I was living in Holland at the time. And um, well, I lived in uh, the States when Planet Rock came out, but then I moved like six months after Planet Rock was out, I had to go live in the Netherlands. And, um, but, the, but Europe was up on all this stuff too. Uh, up on, so the culture, the word hip hop became a culture. It was, it was, it was uh, breakdancing, uh, you know, pop and breakdancing, yeah. graffiti and rhyme. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then and then there's always you could even consider like the one guy in the crew kind of that they represented in B Street, like the, the Russell Simmons guy. It was yeah. it was also he was kind of like you needed to have that, but you also needed like management, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of of course, right? Yeah, that's exactly. I'm sorry. That's what I meant. But also with the yeah. Med, yeah, and DJing. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, it's hundred percent DJing. And I, I don't know why that's the one I ended <laughs> no, up. Because for us, forgot. it's so obvious. Yeah, yeah so obvious. Uh, yeah. Okay. Exactly. But so, like so Beach, so B Street came up when I saw B Street. It was like, okay, so I'm 14, 13, 14 when it came out. 84, 83, right? Came out like that, right? 84, 85, 84. 84. It's got it. It can't be 85. 84, I'm going to say. Okay. I mean, you would, I mean, you were there. I'm not going to watch you. Know, but, um, but those the, um, all blend into one another. <laughs> but the, um, um, for me was that the, the, obviously everybody knows the music. I mean, you watch the movie, you know, the acting's horrendous. The movie overall is pretty bad. <laughs> the writing in the movie is pretty bad. It's yeah. just, a, it's overall, it's like a one or two star movie. Yeah. But the thing <laughs> is, is that it, it is like, uh, it was we needed to see yeah. what hip hop is. We needed to right. see like we imagined hip hop. Yeah. We would listen to looking for the perfect beat and we'd be like, imagine what hip hop is. We we would get you would get little things like like a little tidbit on a clip. You'd see like, hey you, the rock steady crew, we'd be like, Oh, what is that? Yeah. Oh, and freak out, you know, it's like or you somebody would get like big bring back a VHS tape from the States of somebody yeah. popping. Somebody was like popping and roboting you're like ah, oh, yeah. oh. you're like I, I have to have more of that yeah. so for me yeah. when b street came out I, i'm not making this up <clears throat> i broke two of my father's vcrs <laughs> rewinding rewinding and rewinding rewinding wow. the, the scene at the roxy yeah so yeah. there's a breakdance scene at the yeah. roxy it's basically rock city crew against these guys called new york city breakers yeah and it's just this battle scene. Arthur did the yep. music to it. Arthur, by the way, is music director of Beach Street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so he did most all the music in, in Beach Street. And I'm just saying that movie 
again, made me who I am. So yeah. <laughs> again, something Arthur's responsible for. And I just want to know, I just want to, but, but I do got to, I'm going to, you can edit this, but I, I got to pee real quick. So yeah. but I wanna, <laughs> I'm going to ask you the Beach Street story. Okay. okay. I know. And, and we're almost done. Okay. So, go, go. A little pee break. Go, okay. Go, go. Cool. Okay, so well, so all right, so our month's yeah. back. So yeah, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's yeah? So what's, Elaine, you can start it off. Well, ask, ask some stuff about Beach Street. You can you've seen it. So. No, no. He, yeah, he well, I, I was just telling. Yeah, okay. I was just telling Arthur that I actually skipped over Beat Street in my hip hop education, and I and I ended up only watching it couple of years ago and I was telling Arthur like yeah, yeah like like you said Armand it's kind of bad it's like a Disney <laughs> yeah. version so what was yeah. what was your experience like Arthur in terms of, like dealing with Harry Belafonte or whoever like Well I, yeah I, no I mean ba basically I'm the guy who brought all the the rappers to it you know and all the talent and and all the guys were like yo Artie what the fuck this is fucking <laughs> lame you know yeah, they won't let yeah. us smoke. They won't let us drink a beer. What is this? You know, oh, Man, some things never change because to this day, that's what it's like to bring rappers. To yeah. I, I, like, like, I can't smoke here. I don't like. It. So they're like, yo, they're like, yo, man, what's up? You know, talk to Harry, man. And I, you know, Harry and I just didn't get on at all. I mean, because mm -hmm. I was also heavily into cocaine at the time, so I was like, really always fucked fucked up. And I'd go see him, yeah. and I'd be like have no patience and you know, whatever, but yeah, no one, none of the, none of the crew thought much of the movie, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, obviously so many people of, 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 of your age, man, you know, mm -hmm. like yeah. love it. And basically all over the world, when people find out about that, I did beat street, people geek out more on that <laughs> than pretty much anything else. Cause Wow. Really, yeah. a lot of people, their first fucking taste of of hip hop and yeah. dancing was that movie, The Breakdancing. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is... It was like the document that exported. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. literally, yeah. you know, break-in was, was bullshit. And, break -in we was had, and we had a great performance of, you yeah. know, we had a great battle. And my, my buddy, yeah. Michael Holman, who, who, who's partners with me in this new project in a beat street project we're doing mm. he was he was like the new york city broke breakers choreographer manager whatever and he made sure that it got shot the way it was because mm. dan latham who was the director he thought oh we'll do a bunch of takes you know and mm. michael was like no you're gonna you can only do one take because they that they're, they're gonna just go for it and the next take they won't possibly be able to do it. So yep. you've got to, instead of doing like two camera shoot, four takes, do a one uh, one take of a five cameras. And he yeah, also yeah. had them. That is, that is what that scene looks like too. And, that's, and that's he crazy. also that's had the crazy. camera under yeah. the plexiglass so that when they're spinning. Oh, later, that was in the, later in the movie, yeah. yeah that yeah. was Michael's idea. So yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. you know, he was really to do with why that is iconic because yeah. they captured the battle. They captured the battle scene, you know. Yeah, yeah. But the rest that's of it crazy. was really horrible <laughs> you know you know what i like you know what is a scene i like i like the i like the roxy tryouts yeah like the, that's uh, funny though like that's the, the audition the audition the yeah, audition oh, yeah, 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 yeah. that is yeah. supposed <laughs> to be funny and it is it's funny it's funny it's funny yeah look you know two big people came out of those there's brenda k star and the it's, system yeah yeah they were, oh, they, yeah, were nobodies. Right. they were nobodies they were nobodies and they're, they're in the 
Roxy auditions in the movie. Yeah, Dougie, Dougie, it's crazy. Dougie wasn't Dougie. Oh, Fresh. Dougie Fresh, Dougie Fresh. Yeah, I mean, we had, the, yeah. did the Santa yeah. rap. He's like, he did. Yeah. He's like, we need a beatbox, and then they got Dougie Fresh, and Dougie yeah. Fresh blew up yeah. from Beach Street. A lot of people blew up from Beach yeah. Street, yeah. like a lot. You, of people. you know, um, yeah. Yeah. one of the one of the guys from the system continued on to be a huge pop writer for years and years and years. Like he wrote like Christina Aguilera, Jeannie and Jeannie in the bottle. David, 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 David Frank. David, David Frank. Frank. Yeah. 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 David yeah, Frank. Yeah, He's yeah, had a yeah. long career. Yeah. Yeah. Started on beach street. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I hired, yeah. I hired them. They were, they were friends yeah. of mine. I hired them. Oh, cool. I pretty much hired everyone on that movie, you know? Right. So then when, when it was, so when the movie turned out, they to had the song, be- you are my system. They had already had. That. Yeah. Okay. And they wrote a song for, they wrote a song for Chaka Khan that didn't end up getting used. And then I think she used it on her album and, it was a bit of a fallout over that, you know, because mm. you know, I ended up, well, you know who else broke out of that movie that most people won't know? It's uh, Carl Sturkin and Evan Rogers. I don't know if you know who they are, but they yeah. they wrote with me. They wrote, this could be the night. The Cindy, uh, well, Cindy oh, Mizell. She yeah, came out of there. I mean, Lisa okay. Fisher, yeah. they were both in that movie. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no. Carl Sturkin and Evan Rogers ended up discovering Rihanna. Wow. Okay. They produced That's a her long first, road. <laughs> no, they produced they produced her first al- two albums and then wow. sold wow. the deal to Jay Z. But they're they've been making money off of that. They met because uh, Evan's wife was Bahamian and they went on a vacation there and, and her best friend was Rihanna's mother and that's how that happened. <laughs> They're on a beat street too. They wrote two songs on beat street with me. That's crazy. That's crazy. So there were, you know, we, you know, no. it was pretty much everyone who was hanging at the time. That's crazy. All right. Well, I got, I guess one more, if you're okay with it, uh, if you got <laughs> oh, yeah. that time or where, where are we yeah. at? Oh yeah. Or no, just, we have to, we have to do one or two more. I have like, oh, yeah, yeah, go, we, go, yeah, go. yeah, come on. We need, All right. we need, well, well, my, we need my, my to next... get out of 80. We got to get by 84, man. Exactly. <laughs> Let's move on. All right. Well, I'm uh, jumping, I'm jumping now to Sun City. So we're jumping up okay, to like that's 85. <laughs> 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 go so, so thing that I barely remember when it came out, but I remembered, I didn't like the song, honestly. I was just like, I, I, I didn't really, yeah. I, was, I didn't really, I was like, it's cool. I was like Bambada's and all these other rappers and stuff yeah. and yeah. all these other artists. So I want to explain what it is. So Sun City was this amazing thing that Arthur did for apartheid in South Africa, mm-hmm. that what was going on in the 80s. And he did like a, he basically, a USA for Africa had been out and I'm assuming Arthur that you were like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something like USA for Africa. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. I was, I was, I was yeah. writing songs with, with Steve Van Zandt, who was Springsteen's yes. guitarist. Yeah, yeah, the, the guy with the, the gypsy, the yeah. gypsy yeah. rap. Yeah. Dude, he was right? in the yeah. Sopranos for you know. Yeah. You know yeah. But yeah, we yeah. were we were working, and then you know, basically, I, I, it's a real, it's a, it's a real. I'll do it quickly, but. I was well, I want to say, I want to say, I want to intro it and then just, you're going to go. Cause I want to yeah. say, uh, go ahead. Whoever is watching this show, go to YouTube and do Africa Bambada Sun City, right? Yeah. That's what it is, right? No, That's, yeah, artists United Against the Park. Art, thank you. you artists. Yes. Apartheid. Artists United Against the Park. Sun City. Yeah. And for fun, <laughs> if you're a music head, 
try to start it, it's six exactly it's six minutes long at least and try to pick and up who's in that fucking video <laughs> every artist in this video and so i'm gonna run off the top real fast yeah a bunch of things i know i'm gonna forget a bunch but yeah, i'm gonna yeah. go with the biggies so i'm gonna go yeah. with lou reed bruce springsteen bono uh noina hendrix don't ask why that came in yeah. fat boys um um run dmc um um Grandmaster Flash and the Furious, yeah. Furious Five. Um, oh my God. Um, um, hold on. Um, <laughs> Hollow Notes. Hollow Notes. Um, I want to talk about them. We'll hold get on. back yeah, to hold that. On. that too. Hold on. And then, go ahead. Joey, Joey Ramone. Joey Ramone. Oh. Come on. <laughs> yeah, okay, Jimmy, so Jimmy Cliff. Big Youth. Yes. Gil Scott Heron. Yes, yes, Ray, yes, yes. Wait, Ray Barreto. Ray Barreto. Oh, right. oh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the dude. Wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Pete Townsend. Yes, wow. Pete Townsend. Yes, yes, yes. Hold yes, on. Yes, yeah. Bob, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold Bob on. Dylan. Yeah, yeah, Hold yeah, on. yeah. Ring, yeah. Ringo Starr. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Miles Davis. Yes. Oh, shit. Yes. Okay. Peter fucking Gabriel. <laughs> yes. He was the biggest star in the world at that point, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Eddie Kendrick and David Ruffin from the from the, yeah, um, from the Temptations. Temptations. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. George Clinton. Yes. yes. Bobby, wait. Bob, Bobby Womack. <laughs> Bobby Womack, you're right. Yeah, Womack yeah, and Womack, yeah. Yeah, 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 everyone. I mean, literally, it was... It was no, the, it is... It was the... Nuts. And then in the video... Wait, in the video... Guys like Charlie Wilson from the Gap Band came down yeah, yeah. to yeah, be in the yeah. video. Yeah. Peter Wolf from Jay Giles. I mean, it was. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah like, that's I, right. I, Jay Giles. Dude, it's crazy. Go I ahead. like to imagine the fat boys hanging out with all those people that you just named. They did. They did. In, in Washington Square Park. I love, I love the thought of that. Together. They're all together. <laughs> you got to see the, the video when. Bono kisses Buffy from the Fat Boys. Yes, yeah, that's in the I video. Put that in the video. You know, Bono, right? Bono kisses the human beatbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's the video. And Lou, Reed, Lou Reed's dancing. Who else is in it? Yeah, um, yeah. That's, I, I, I bet you I got everybody, but man, I'm sure I, I missed someone. You know? No, there's. A, oh, Bonnie, I know there's another Bonnie Rate. Bonnie Raitt. Mm. Yeah, uh, Pat My dad's a fan. Pat Benatar. Yes, Pat Benatar. Pat Benatar is yeah. I mean, that's. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's actually like the craziest bunch of. Music. I collect music videos. It's one of the craziest videos I have. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I have to fight myself not to go to that video. I just yeah. love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the video is unbelievable, though. It is. It's crazy. Fucking yeah, amazing crazy. video. Yeah. yeah. But by the way, just on a question, <laughs> what the hell was that like? Like, how did. You're hang, you're meeting all these people. I know that, but I yeah. mean, were you even able to chop it up? And there was like there was like an after party. Oh, were you able we to were, like hang out with all man, these people? We were, we were chopping up, but we were chopping up. <laughs> we were chopping up, chopping, chopping with the credit card, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, thing, yeah. the thing the thing was right. So we did it. We started recording. I I had my own studio, so of course we started recording there. And people would show up, man. It would be like one day, oh, Kashif was in it. I mean, Kashif's in it, you know. I mean, there are people. And people would show up, and and I'd have them sing, you know, one one verse. Or, you know, I would just like having people sing bits. And then when it was like Bono or Springsteen or Daryl or Bobby Womack, I'd have them sing the entire song. So basically... Mm -hmm. 
you know, but we gave everyone a line. Yeah, well, we gave everyone a line. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone got a line, but yeah. some people got more lines. Uh, <laughs> no, but it was amazing because you wouldn't know who was going to show up. And like, yeah. one of, oh, you know who else is in it? Fucking, I can't even believe it. Herbie Hancock's in it, too. I don't remember him in it. Yeah, he that's played crazy. on it. He's he's he's, he's dancing in Washington Square Park. You see her. Yeah, that's it. I mean, literally, oh. everyone's dancing. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. The least yeah. cool. It's the it's the coolest least cool because they're all dancing. Yeah, you're, you're you're in it dancing first. I'm in it, man. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> blast. but 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 the thing was, people would show up, and you know, some would show up when they were scheduled, like Herbie and Ray Barreto, and those guys showed up, and then basically. Gabriel showed up and I was like me it was just me and Gabriel my engineer and it was like he had put out he had put out go he was like huge at the time and he was yeah. making his new record at, at power station and he just shows up on his own at the studio just sort of walks in and we you know I put him in there and basically I didn't want to give him like one of the lines I just said listen I'm going to give you the percussion and there was a percussion bit and I'm just going to give you that. And you just do your thing, like do whatever you want over that. Cause I was thinking of like for the intro or whatever. So he did it and he'd go, give me another track, give me another track. And he built this song. He wrote, he did like an acapella over this percussion. So then I had Doug Winbish and Keith LeBlanc and, and Steve went in and cut a track over his song. And it became the song, No More Apartheid which is an amazing, beautiful song. It's on, yeah, it's on yeah, the album. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, the, 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 the one that was the most mind-boggling for everyone was I was in the studio with, with Bonnie Raitt and Kashif were in the studio. And they were, <laughs> <laughs> and they were, doing, their, they were doing their vocals. And we had been trying to get Miles Davis for weeks. And he would like, Miles is coming. No, he's not coming. Miles is coming. And one day... I happen to be going out to get my coffee, whatever, and there's a buzzer, buzz, and it's, yo, man, Miles, let me in. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, okay. So basically, you know, listen, the thing was, I I didn't get nervous with any of the other acts, except maybe Gabriel, he was like laid back, but it was more, you know, I had already met Bruce before and all that, but... But when Miles came, everyone, like Van Zant was nervous. Everyone was nervous because he had such a rep. And, yeah. and, and, and I called Doug Winbush, who played bass on it. And he, you know, he he worked with he worked with Jagger and Jeff Beck and everybody. But, you know, I said, Doug, he's here. He's here. Because he had said, whenever Miles gets it, call me right away. I want to be Miles. So Miles comes in and he's wearing this polka dot shirt like with a fucking cape and it's 80s and he's like wearing these big glasses and it's like Prince had nothing I mean again Miles was the original Prince as far as and, and so he goes in and we give him the track and basically we have a cameraman in there shooting because we're shooting everything for this you yeah, know the video. We, yeah. we, we had like a crew every day it was great no. so we everything was shot and uh and the guys, you know, in the cameraman, and, and we're running it, and we're recording, and 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 Miles like, oh, 
get out of here. You're the wrong color. You know, and we're like, <laughs> what is this? We're, we're like, we're going, is he talking about the cameraman? What's he? And then we realize he's like the voice of South Africa of apartheid. So he did this genius sort of talk rap thing. And then he played and it was just unfucking real. So I wow. mean, the, 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 the recording process of that, I'll, most of the things that, I'll remember, you know, and I was out of it because it was really in my the, the worst of my cocaine uh, addiction or whatever you want to call it. But I remember every fucking session because they were also they were also magic. It was well. So we, you filmed it. So with the video, so there is a, a documentary quick. too. There's a documentary. Oh, there is. The okay, great. So, but does, some, does somebody have those tapes? Like the original kind of. Tapes before, 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 no, not the, not the, not the The music, the video, the the film, the film. You know, I, I mean, here's what happened. This guy, Danny Schechter, who was a friend of mine from Boston, he was on, he was like one of the producers of that, that, that show, like it was called 2020. That was like a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he got his crew, (laughs) his crew was shooting. Like we were, we were using his people and, MTV, like he had friends there. So he'd call people and we'd get the crew for free and we weren't paying for anything. So we were getting these scripts. But yeah. he passed away and I don't know if Steve has those films, but you I should mean, find there, there, is a book. there is a book. It was a, a picture book that came out. And I do uh-huh. know the guy, David Selig, who was a photographer, and I'm trying to make a deal with him to buy like a, a, a all the prints, but he's, char- you know, he wants to charge like a grand to print. I'm like, dude, what's up, man? <laughs> yeah. But there's some amazing pictures. I mean, you know, yeah. there's pictures. I mean, it was just, I'd have to say in, in my career, that experience was probably the most, the most memorable, you know, like. It, yeah. I mean, well, it's a producer's <laughs> dream. It's like basically like as a producer, like if, if it was like me or me or a track, it's like, it's like mm-hmm. us going, how can we get everybody to come to our house? Yeah, like in a sense, like like everybody that you love, you know. It was my. It's like my. It was my. Listen, it was was my studio. Yeah, (laughs) they all came over. Right, they all came over to my place, and then we had great engineers working on it, like Chris and Tom Lord Algae and and Bob Mountain and Frank Filippetti. Everyone worked on it for free. I mean, no one got no one got paid anything. Yeah, yeah. None of the, the, all we got studio time for free. It was, you know, it was amazing. It was an amazing, amazing project. I have to say. And musically, you know, it's like we got nominated for a Grammy for the best vocal arrangement in a rock song, which we lost to fucking the Eurythmics, those fuckers, you know. (laughs) And then we, then we got nominated for best long form video. And we got beat by, uh, by, um, State the police. They had a video of that year, so no. we got two nominations. Didn't didn't get. That's all right. But it was it was magic. I mean, getting yeah. to sit down. Oh well, going into the bathroom to do a line and having Bobby Womack, George Clinton, Eddie Kendrick, and David Ruffin all follow you in the bathroom and like go oh, 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 break up, break up. <laughs> it was insanity for a year. It was like a year. It was a year of insanity. It was, I mean, wow, I, didn't do, I, I didn't do anything else really that year. I mean, I did a few things, but it was, it was, uh, you know, and just, you know, I mean, I did get to work with like all my favorite singers, you know, mm. it was just amazing to, to, 
to get to do that. And, and uh, yeah. And the, and the, the real plus was we got to educate people in America on apartheid because no one even knew what it was at the time. Hmm. And we raised a shitload of money that we gave to the Africa fund. And after we did that record, no artist really went to performance in South Africa after that. And then, you know, not many years later, apartheid ended. So we, yeah, I really feel yeah. like I feel we had actually something. To you do. had a hand in it for sure. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Oh yeah, that was. So you want to talk about Hall and Oates? You mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. I have one, actually. Yeah. So as one, my, my last question, because so for viewers who might not know, Arthur uh, produced Big Bang Boom, the, the album, right? You, yeah. Yep. I have one specific question about that. Okay. <laughs> the, yes. <laughs> The first song mixes into the second song. It's like a beat match. It's like a DJ mix, right? Yeah. Like yeah, it, yeah. Well, how'd it, you guys do that? With well, the technology here's the, okay, that was. Here's the thing. That was basically Daryl and I went in and we cut this thing. Like it was going to be like they were going to use it as the an, 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 an intro to their show, right? Dance on your knees and dance on your knees. They were going to yeah. use it as basically they Tommy Matola was their manager and right oh, wow. around that time he was my, he signed me to he wanted to manage me right so he became uh -huh. my manager so basically they they had already they already had a deal with Bob Claremont and to engineer the album mm -hmm. and T-Bone Walk who was their bass player so mm. there were there were there were already four producers right so mm -hmm. they he hired me to be the arranger and the mix to, to, to do the mixing on the record. So basically, but he wouldn't give me, he wouldn't give me, a, this is, uh, this is behind the scenes. I, he wouldn't give me any points. And I'm like, fuck man. I mean, I want to get points, you know? So mm -hmm. he said, well, listen, well, that, that thing you and Daryl did, cause he, you know, he would call that, that thing you guys did, you know, <laughs> whatever, uh, you know, I love that. We'll put that on the album and you'll get half, you'll get half the publishing and, the, and you'll get half the writing. So you'll make more money on that than you would on like getting a point because, well, I, that, that's Tommy Matola telling you that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing was they paid me 50 grand as a mix, a mix arranger. And mm. then that song, I had half the song writing and publishing the album sold like 3 million. So yeah, I did okay with that for sure. But the, <laughs> bottom, but the bottom line was they wanted to do something with it, but they didn't know what to do with it. And then I said, well, why don't we have that as sort of the intro of the album as, as well as when they played live, they used to use that and they used to open up. Mm -hmm. But what's really interesting about out of touch and which is actually a good story was I had worked with, Daryl on Swept Away, the Diana Ross song. We 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 produced that together, Daryl and I. So we had already worked mm. together before the album, before Big Ben Boom. And and Tommy said, Well, listen, you 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 and John should hang out because you already hung out with Daryl. And you know, I want John to be comfortable with working with you and all that. And I said, Cool. So John came over and he played me a bunch of songs. And you know, they were they were good songs, you know. Uh, and, but then he said, I had just signed the stylistics to Streetwise. So he said to me, I've got this really good song for the stylistics. And yeah. I go, okay, let me hear it. And he plays it to me. And it's out, it's out of touch. It's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's, the, it's the track. It's very similar to the, how we cut it, but just the chorus. There's no, there's no verse. Mm -hmm. So basically, I go to him. I go, John, that's a number one record. 
<laughs> if if you if if I cut that for the stylistics, Tommy's gonna cut my fucking legs off. Are you crazy? <laughs> so I call I, I I call Tommy up and I go. Um, he goes, oh, so what? Does he got anything? I go, yeah, man. He's got this track. He thinks I should cut for the stylistics, but it's a fucking number one Hall and Oates record. He, I'll be right there. Gets <laughs> 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 in his limo. He's there like. 10 minutes and we play it and he's gone, man, you're fucking right. That's, that's going to be the first single. And, but Uh then we go into the studio and John wrote the chorus, right? So John's thinking he's going to sing the lead. I'll never forget this because we're, we're uh, electric lady land studios and um, it's Friday night and we've just sort of cut the track and John's like, yo, I'm leaving, you know, they weren't late at night work is well john wasn't you know i'm I'm going out to the hamptons i gotta leave okay (laughs) so he leaves daryl's like (laughs) hook up a mic you know so he gets a shore 57 and he's sitting in the room and he just like sings out of touch like the melody he didn't have the lyrics weren't done but he's singing you know the melody Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he's just like i'm like wow that's amazing and then you know of course he works on it and he he writes the li- he he writes the verses and he and he nailed them. So those are good um, verses too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and obviously John comes back and he's a bit, you know, John knows that. But but then there was another song later in the album which a similar thing happened where he, John wrote um, possession obsession and uh, and and you know basically Tommy called me up and said, man, you you, you got to. You got to talk John into letting me, uh, letting Daryl sing the lead on it, and I'm mm. like, why do I have to do that? <laughs> you have a fucking manager, you fucking no man, you got to do it. I go, well, I'm not going to do it, you know, because literally, let John have a fucking lead, you know. Yeah. But, you know, but but you know, obviously, it came out and it wasn't a hit, and probably if Daryl had sung it, it might have been a hit. But with that album, we were in such they were in such a rush to finish it because they had a tour. That was starting, uh-huh. like, literally, we were recording that all summer. It was really hot. And they had a tour in the summer, and they had to finish it. And I was like, guys, you need one more song. We need a really great ballad. And mm. that'll take the album, like, another million copies. Fam- like, family Man? No, I'm just saying not- they didn't have oh, they, oh, You know, mm. I said, you guys should sit down at the piano, because they used to sometimes just do duet and sing old songs. Mm. Like, Let's just record something with the two of you and if you put it out after having out of touch and method of modern love and then you come with a great ballad it's gonna you know and they didn't do yeah. it because they were like oh we got to go on tour and i think that was definitely a, a major major mistake on that because the album could have gone that next step but it only had two it only had two hits you know okay cool, cool. Yeah. well that's an hour and a half to get to 85 yeah, 85 yeah. yeah yeah well well with that said i'll say that yeah arthur still continues to <laughs> be very relevant he's still making a ton of music arthur is i could say this like a, a revelation came to me about four or five years ago when i saw you arthur and ibiza and he was just Arthur's just hanging out. And I had met Arthur, I think, in somewhere in the mid nineties, I think is around the time I met you. It was yeah. just a quickie quickie high and by thing, but I was like, I just yeah. I can't believe I met yeah. you yeah. I was 
I in, in London, didn't, right? I, London. I didn't. I didn't watch. I, I didn't wash my hand. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, but like, I would. We we would run into each other, and then eventually we finally got able to like hang and do a proper, you know, hang kind of thing. But um, I realized something about Arthur Vega, and this is crazy. And this is I can say this for for the amount of time Arthur's been making music. Um, you know, from like you said, from '72, starting out with the, you know, uh, or mid '70s, uh, making disco yeah. songs, yeah, to, to, yeah. To, to making records, uh, you know, doing the new Beach Street Breakdance Olympics thing, and and, yeah. and or, or whatever's happening, or like Arthur or the Rockers Revenge movie, or I mean, Arthur is never, I, I it never, he's Arthur's always working on something. Yeah. Arthur's mm-hmm. never, yeah, Arthur has four or five projects going at once <laughs> and and he's always got stuff and it's always always been that way and arthur will be doing out in the street in the in a like behind a dj booth for four or five hours <laughs> like just like like he's i'm like arthur what are you doing here he's like i'm hanging i'm like it's five in the morning i'm like what are you i'm like i'm not even here i don't even want to be here He's like, no, this is nice. I'm like, dude, you've been here for like five hours. <laughs> Arthur still hangs, listens yeah. to the music, listens to the DJs, is committed about this game. It's yeah. a, an amazing thing. I don't, there's nobody else that's I visually see that's putting in that effort like Arthur and, and on yeah. any music genre. So that's something well, to be said. I, you know, I still, so. I, I, I still love hearing music in a club and... I still love hearing responses when you play your music out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I yeah. still love making music. I mean, I think, I, yeah. you know, I've, I've made some shit this, the last few years that, you know, it's not, it's, it's not like it doesn't fit in any, the right genre right now to, for, to, you know, but I've made records that I'm really happy with, which is, you know, which you is cool. Which is <laughs> yeah, not, I'm saying, new, not a lot of people new, have made the records. You re- I'm making new records now that I'm really happy with. And that like, okay, the other day I was on that. There was a, uh, this, I was on a, basically a flatbed truck driving through Miami. I was, it was called Miami, uh, the Miami vote float. I was on that the other day, <laughs> just playing music for people trying to get them to go vote. Okay. Uh-huh. So I was up in North Miami by the library and I was just playing new shit. I only played my own new stuff. A lot of there's three or four, three records that are very political, the things I've done with Jose and then a few other things and a few, this one Latin track called Mi Mente. And I'm playing it and there's like three kids in on the truck with me, you know, like, they're like making sure shit doesn't fall off the truck and they're dancing and they're like going, yo, do you have an Instagram man? That shit, that, that music you were playing was amazing. And I tried to Shazam it, but none of it's on there. I go, yeah, it's my music. I haven't put it out yet. And they were like all like 20, 25 years old. And they were all like, fuck man. So to me, I still get a charge out of making music that will make, kids dance you know it's yeah, yeah, yeah and the yeah, thing yeah. is when that was the, th- the thing I, we didn't talk about the rocker's revenge thing but i've i've done a movie with rocker's revenge a documentary and rocker's revenge were a group that i did walking on sunshine with in 82 83 i worked with them 83 84 they had one hit they had a track in beach street they had a few other things and that was it and we stopped working together in 88 and then literally like in, in what, like 2014, one of the guys calls and like, you want to make a record? And we made a track and 
we made one track. And when I heard what we had made, I said, shit, Damien Lazarus will love this track. I had mm -hmm. some reason I thought, sent it to him. And he was like, bro, what is this? I want to put it out. What is it? I go to Rocket Revenge. And he goes, you don't understand. Walking on Sunshine was one of my favorite records. So he put it out as his 200th release. So oh, cool. then I decided I'm going to do a movie on these guys because, you know, it's just like too good of a story. So mm -hmm. we've, been do we've, been, we've been doing that. And the thing is, I took them on a tour a few summers ago and they were doing and, you know, the charge they got was out of making young people dance. And, and, and you know, because then you go on these gigs where it's all old people, like when it's like, you know, a jelly bean, like funhouse reunion party or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. it becomes... It's like retro, but I took him to Barcelona, Razzmatazz. I took him to uh, Mykonos. I took him to uh, Ibiza, and they played Mambo, and they played uh, Scorpio and and uh, and and and, uh, and Mykonos. And people might, some of them might have known some of the songs, and some might not have known any of them. And people were just reacting. So to me, that's you know what keeps me making, trying to make music. Besides the fact I love making music, but it's really cool to be able to still connect with young people or an audience with new music, you know, because, I mean, you know, we, we, we talked about my old shit and I'm very proud of it, of course. I, I, I know that early 80s stuff really did change the way music was perceived and mm. how people produced music for sure, you know, changed the sound. But, you know, it's still nice to be able to do it and play it out and have people get off on it to of course well i follow in your footsteps because I, i'm, feel I'm the, the same, same. <laughs> i follow in your footsteps you'll be 60 man. years old and you'll be uh yeah you guys we'll will still have be more, doing you'll it. have more money though that's the issue <laughs> you guys will have some cash but you know i still love i love doing it and you know yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome cool cool thanks arthur good we got it thank you man yes <laughs> we got wonderful it. Thanks, Arthur. Really cool. appreciate it, man. Oh, no cool. problem. Cool. We'll, we I'll get two together. Why don't we'll we get together this weekend before yeah, we'll, the we'll, election? You know? Well, before the end of the earth, right? Yeah, we should <laughs> get together before the election, man. <laughs> Sounds you know? good, man. I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up. I'll hit you up. Yeah, because you come. I heard you're driving now. Junior, Junior oh, said. Yeah. No, I've been driving, but Junior just found out I'm driving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Junior's late. Junior was So, how did. did is, yeah, yeah, no, he's driving, man. He's driving. I go, okay. <laughs> Dude, I drove to your house the first time, man. Oh, Come you on. did. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I did not take an Uber. Okay. No, but you should come on. You got to see the goat, man. You got to see the goat. I want to hang with the goat, for yeah. sure. And right. by the way, Pun pun intended. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool guys. Thanks. All right, All right take Thanks, care. Arthur. All right, take yep. care. Thanks. Yeah. Cool.